There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth in Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Elena Lezik. On the show this week, things get bad fast when the evil dead rise and David spoke to the film's director. A group of activists learn how to blow up a pipeline. And on Film Club, it's back to gore in Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. All coming up on Truth in Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So, Elena, first time I've ever had you on the show, but I love listening to you on past episodes. I'm really excited. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be back and great to be talking with you. I mean, no no shade to Michael, but you know, just nice to have a bit of change. And yeah, it's lovely. But for people that maybe haven't or, you know, have shorter memories, could you give us a reminder of who you are and what it is you do? Uh, yeah, so I'm a freelance film writer. I'm French, in case you can't tell. But I've been living in London for 10 years. And yeah, I write for various outlets, including This White Lies. And yeah, I love all kinds of movies, good and bad. And I love talking about them. So this is great for me. Yes, I, I'm I'm also a big fan of a very bad film, which I suppose makes me pretty poorly qualified to host this thing. But hey ho, David, thanks for the gig anyway. No worries, no worries. <laughs> so you must be getting started on the next issue, if uh, my calendar is correct. Any any hints about the sort of work you're up to? Oh <clears throat> no, yeah, you're right. We are we are definitely the current issue on um, the lovely, great, brilliant, polite society is on the shelves now. And I believe you will be talking about it on the on the episode next week. And as soon as an issue comes out, the the work starts on the next one. We can't we can't dilly dally in these matters. You know, the the more the more time we have, the better. Really, the less work I have to do in in the evenings and weekends. So yeah, no, I can't give you any hints so far, but I think it's a it's a yeah. No, I'm not going to say anything. No, I could I'll tell I, I'll tell you both off off air. But I want to keep this one uh, in the vault. I will say the cover has got a, a kind of is going to have a sort of wow factor element to it, and very very unique. I, I, I'm sort of I'm not sure there's going to be many magazine covers ever that have ever looked like this cover will look. That's all I'll say. I, I love a cover with a wow factor. Yeah. Well, let, let's 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 hope we can uh, achieve that. And in a world with so few original ideas, it is nice that you are continuing to innovate. And that is not shade to Evil Dead Rise, which we'll get into now. (laughs) 
Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady AQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. After a long journey on the road, Beth visits her older sister, Ellie, who is struggling to raise three children alone in a small Los Angeles apartment. However, their reunion is interrupted when they find a strange book hidden in the depths of Ellie's building, which unleashes flesh-possessing demons. But before we get into the film, David got to talk to its director, Lee Cronin. Super fun, super thrilling, and, and I think super moving horror movie. Thank you. I mean, the, these these movies are, you know, a lot of people are quite are very kind of reverential towards yeah, these films, and for these, sure. these are these are very important films within the kind of modern horror canon. And I wondered, do you recall your first encounter with an Evil Dead film? Did you see them in yeah. order? Yeah, I saw them. Well, I, I saw. Yeah, it's there's a definite prehistory story here. So, at the very beginning, like, I'll give it as much context as I can. I'm the youngest in my family by by eight years my next sibling is is eight years older than me so when I was young and impressionable and all my siblings were in their teenage years I was exposed to a lot of horror movies that I shouldn't have seen and I'm glad it happened because it got under my skin and I think created part of the filmmaker I am or my want to do this but specifically with Evil Dead it was my dad who's also a horror movie fan who showed me the Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 back-to-back rented VHS situation I was like eight or nine years old when I saw the movies. He had no fear in showing them to me because my siblings had been... At that point, I'd seen The Shining. I'd possibly seen A Nightmare on Elm Street, like really young. Now, I would hide behind my hands for much of it. But with The Evil Dead, they just really... I'd never seen anything quite like it. And I didn't... You know, when you're like eight or nine, you watch something, you don't know what you've watched. So it's not like I remembered the names and was like... But they were these things that I knew. And then I'd start to catch, particularly Evil Dead 2, I'd catch that on TV quite a bit. And then I started to understand their importance, as you said, like, you know, within the canon, a cornerstone of American horror cinema history and worldwide horror cinema history. And my sister was the one that then introed me to Army of Darkness a little while after that came out because she was a big fan of that movie particularly. And that kind of, you know, joined everything together for me. So, yeah, like Evil Dead has been in my life since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. That, that's an amazing story. And, and when, you, when you talk about those things that you remember, from, that you see elsewhere from those original films, are you talking about references or little kind of formal moves? Because, like, another thing that is so... that I personally love about those films is that Sam Raimi himself is such a presence in them. And, yeah. he, and, he, and, he, and he's a presence through the yeah. form. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the energy and it's the, like, look, being a movie fan, I love the stories behind the story. It's like, I, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. I absolutely love Peter Jackson's trilogy to death. I almost love the appendices more than the movies, like the stories behind the creation. And equally, you know, the journey that Sam and, and his partners in crime went on over the years was quite inspirational to me. I remember, I think it was my 21st birthday a friend bought me The Evil Dead Companion. It's this like book about, I think it's called The Evil Dead Companion, this book about the history. And the, always I love the origins. It's the early pages that I love because when you're also struggling to get somewhere and you can see that someone else had to struggle, but now they're in this position, it, it kind of gives you a lot of hope. But it, it, there is a lot of personality in, the, in Sam's work and in those movies. And I remember the thing that always stuck out in my head would be before I kind of knew what they said, knew what they, I knew they were important, before I knew really what they were, in my young years, I was like, I want to watch that movie with the guy that gets laughed at by all these inanimate objects. And I wasn't using the word inanimate when I was 10 years old. But that was the point, you know. I always That's my, probably my favourite scene from 
all Evil Dead is is that scene, especially when he just starts kind of moving up and down alongside the lamp and the moose head and all of these things. They laugh together because it actually points to the psychology at play in these stories, which sometimes gets overlooked. And that was a thing I specifically wanted to carry into Evil Dead Rise is the psychological torment because I love psychological horror. I'm weirdly not the biggest gorehound in the world. They're not the first type of movies that I seek out, except when it comes to Evil Dead because... Uh, the level of creativity around the gore and the kills is 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 so much fun, and I think that's why the the movies have survived and why there was an appetite for there to be a new one. That's funny you say that. Like I was gonna, I was actually going to ask what, the mention of Peter Jackson. Yeah, we won't, maybe we won't go into it too much detail, but there are some references to other movies, yeah, other of course. other yeah. movies in the film yeah. as well. One one very astonishing one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wondered was there was there a reference to Peter Jackson's Brain Dead? And the reason why I ask this is because we're actually on this episode of our podcast. Oh, wow. We're going to be like talking about that film as well as a kind of like archive treasure. Yeah. And I wondered because I guess when we're talking about the gory sides of things, yeah. there's a very there's some very creative gore. Yeah. In- which, which is something that's incredible in, you know, in Brain Dead or Dead Alive, depending on what part of the world that you're in. Um, yeah, I guess, like, when I think of influence, or, you know, because it's something I get asked about a lot at the moment as you're promoting a movie and you're talking about your work. There's just those things that are buried in me. It's like someone last night, and I'm not trying to move away from the Jackson topic, but someone mentioned Aliens and Ripley and Newt and how, and I never thought about that when I was making the movie, but I did recognize it later on when I was cutting the movie. And these are all influences that are buried in me. And Brain Dead is a movie that, you know, bores into your mind in a very, very unique way. And and, and in a way, Peter Jackson, I suppose, was probably influenced by Sam Raimi in certain ways. So I, I can I could see that connectivity. I, one of my dreams with this movie is I really hope Peter Jackson watches it. And I hope he watches it in the cinema. Uh, that's something I would, especially considering we shot it in New Zealand, I really hope he checks it out. Well, if he's listening to this podcast, maybe, you know, he can... Hopefully he can, so. You can... <laughs> dial, dial in, Pete, and we'll get you a free ticket. <laughs> One of the things, elements of the film I really enjoyed is there is a kind of, like, scrungy, quite tactile element to it as well, where you feel that there is actually some real stuff happening and yeah. that you know, there is real makeup and there's some real there's real blood yeah and i think what one of the things that you mentioned that's been mentioned in a kind of press blurb for the film is the amount of blood you, that mm-hmm. was used on the film which is a lot how do you find the right blood like what what yeah. are you looking for in blood like uh yeah. like i mean if you're getting that much blood in a film yep <laughs> you need to have the right blood you do and you know what I've got asked a lot of questions about blood, but no one's ever wanted to dive into the personality, which is something that I actually do care about. And it's about tests, you know, like I remember talking to my physical effects supervisor, who's this kind of rough and ready, awesome dude, so experienced, knows absolutely everything. But I came at him with a real like, I want to talk about the personality of blood, (laughs) you know, and how it works. And I wanted it to have the right color and the right viscosity. And interestingly, around the time I read an article about the history of movie blood, and there's been different trends, you know, over the years, like in terms of the way some blood looked almost like matte poster paint at times in the 70s. And But I just, I, what I really wanted was I wanted blood that could move and perform, so it needed to have a slippery sliminess to it, was, was really important. And I also wanted it to be real. So we, we cooked all of that blood from scratch. I didn't physically do it, but the amazing team did. They to create those many, many thousands of litres of blood. And I wanted it all to be real. I never wanted to cook corners. Like if ever there was a suggestion of we could do it with this, and get away with it I was like no I want the real blood to be there and it kind of has to move in the story and behave in in certain ways and I remember there was great anxiety over one of the biggest blood events in the movie where there's kind of a you know a tidal wave of blood and the worry was that how would it behave in comparison to water because we'd used water for all the stunt tests and and we didn't we couldn't afford to risk doing a full test with our blood 
because it's really expensive. At that volume, it is not a cheap thing. You know, it's a serious budget line in a movie like What's this. What's in it? It's the corn syrup recipe. It's like, right. it's like, and obviously there's little certain other adaptations that are there. That was the main character, but then there'd be certain bloods used for dressing characters. So like permanent blood that wouldn't run, but looks like it's running on characters. That would have to get set. And it's a killer for the cast because once they were blooded up, they couldn't even sit down because they'd stick to a chair and have to have it like, you know, surgically removed from their body because it's all very, very sticky stuff. But yeah, like I think there's little scenes like within the elevator scene, even how the blood starts to pour or rise from the floor and how blood sprays and splatters and all of those things. Or there's some vomiting blood and it all all needed to be handled in a way that gave the most character. I, I imagine how it looks yeah, under the light. Yeah, of course. Because it, it's very easy when you like that it can start to go too dark and start to look kind of black. But I think we did a good job at keeping the redness to it uh, throughout the movie. And yet there is there's a lot of it. And said nobody cast nor crew got out got out without red on <laughs> making this, you know. I get, get, going back to the original trilogy, just just at one of my own kind of nerdy fascination things is that the DVD versions, I think, of the of the original trilogy had incredible commentaries on yeah. by Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Yeah. But really fa- like really going into the kind of process of how they made made it. And yeah. I'm wondering, is is that so- something that you were interested in? Like hearing how that film those original films were made and trying to kind of channel any of those yeah elements. I, I, interesting i'm actually about to, i'm going to record the director's commentary for evil dead rise tomorrow and i haven't listened to one in a while i'm kind of a little bit nervous um i can talk but it's like you want to make sure you tell the right stories there's a lot there's a lot to talk about again i would have listened to those things you know back in the day but i kind of knew i had the influence already inside me and i just i didn't want to get distracted it's a little bit like i struggle to even watch movies when i'm writing and um, because you watch something that's fully formed whilst you're putting something together that's far from fully formed at that point that hasn't gone through all the processes to completion so equally i knew my evil dead influence was inside but i didn't want to start going back or digging i think maybe when i finished the first draft of the script i rewatched evil dead 2 just for fun but other than that i tried to um i just tried to avoid everything and focus on the story that i was trying to tell I mean, that's really fascinating to hear because, like, watching the film, it feels like I think one of the things I I like about it so much is that it doesn't feel like a kind of traditional reboot, as in, like, you know, it's a new version told with a few tweaks. It feels like you've really, like, I think it's what you're saying, that you have, like, ingested these movies and and they're just inside you and you're kind of reprocessing them and remixing them and, like, you're kind of delivering the essence of them rather than just saying, oh, here's a new version of it yeah that was it because I, I really don't have an interest in doing a traditional reboot or you know or a requel like to me it's this is like a, a spiritual following on from what went before and then it's fun to actually layer in direct connections because I very much want it to be attached to the canon and it is but I wanted it to forge new ground and open up new pathways so it yeah I think you've you probably got what I was trying to achieve and how I want to approach it spot on there one of the things I'd love to talk to you about I guess that the, the the casting a film like this must be a really difficult process because you have to have actors who can work in a lot of different registers yes absolutely and could could you talk to talk to me a bit about how you arrived at the the casting decisions for the for the kind of key the sisters maybe do you know the fun the fun thing really with all of the cast was they were the ones when I saw them. I didn't really have any doubts. I wasn't massively weighing them up against other people. Because when I write, I write to people that I know. Um, so like the three kids in the movie, for example, are loosely based on my sister's three kids. Because she has, I have other nieces and nephews, but because she has three, I, I, I lent into that. And then I, I await people to show up and show me a better version of what I've wrote, in, of what I've written in a casting tape. 
and so especially with like with with Lily Sullivan who plays Beth and with Alyssa Sutherland who plays Ellie you know I just knew I needed a certain attitude and they're both Aussies which is fun because they do have that kind of they they know how to grind it out you know that kind of way they they've really good spirit and you know with, with Lily she you know she carries herself with great confidence but there's a vulnerability there and she was able to bring that to the character of Beth and I remember with Alyssa's tape what she got over anyone else I saw that re- that did a read for me she got the enjoyment that a possessed person gets out of screwing with people and once I saw that I was like oh my god like I, like I have it right here I was so relieved because that was particularly hard because you're asking someone to play a mother in a convincing way and then you're asking them to play the darkest subversion of that mother later on but she gave joy in that performance and I went you know we kind of have it so yeah it's always stressful and people sometimes don't know the casting happens a lot later in the process than you'd expect you know we were still three months out but I was already in New Zealand sitting in managed isolation in a hotel trying to make these casting decisions a lot of this movie for me was spent in lockdown states I was locked down writing the script I was locked in managed isolation casting the movie in New Zealand and then we did a two-month lockdown with eight days of filming to go on our schedule where I had to just stay in my apartment in New Zealand for two months before I could return to set and shoot the final scenes of the film yeah so I wrote the screenplay at the first wave of COVID in 2020, which is interesting. We're all locked in our homes and like these characters in the movie with an invisible new evil force outside the door. And then filming was 2021. So I got to New Zealand in the February. There was no COVID in the country at all and no major outbreaks. There was one like little one along the way that didn't affect us. But there was a major outbreak in the August, I said. So I was supposed to leave at the end of August, literally wrap and get on a plane. And uh, yeah, we had this, this lockdown where they didn't have a lot of vaccine in people at the time because because they'd kept COVID out. So they had to really lock it down or their health system. Would have, it was like they were going back in time at that point to the beginning of it all. So, um, and their lockdowns are really stringent. So like I had a nice apartment that had facilities and things in the a building. You couldn't use any of them. You couldn't go for a swim or do, like anything like that. And tried to do a little bit of editing virtually to try and get the ball rolling, but that's not how I work. I'm an in the room kind of person. So yeah, and was waiting for weekly updates if we could go back and go back or go back. And when we got on set, then we needed to add some time to our shoot because it got a little bit more. It was obviously the interactivity in the film required us to be very cautious now that there was COVID in the community in New Zealand. So yeah, in its own way, this is a COVID movie, you know, in, in lots of ways. It had a major impact, you know, on, on how we made it. Um, and I said it all started with me sitting on my bed thinking about cheese graters. Thank you so much for that. That's, My pleasure, That was dude. amazing. So, David, you were the first person I knew that got to see this, and I think you just texted me that it slaps. Care to expand <laughs> any further? Wow, yeah. I think, I think you know, like when you're under those sort of tight media embargoes, you don't, you don't want to, like, go too deep into something, even on the group chat. But, yeah, I, I think I've got a bit of a sort of connection to Evil, The Evil Dead because it's, it's one of those films... As I'm sure everyone will have one, but it's one of those films I saw at an age when I was sort of way too young. Not that I didn't like, you know, I don't think it's a film that you're, too, you're, you're that anyone would ever necessarily be too young to understand because the concept of the Evil Dead is fairly simple. It's like some kids go to a little a cabin in the wood and there's an incantation and then some demons come and, and kill them one by one and there's like a, a hero who and, and it's very gory and really fun and you know um yeah it's 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 always been a film i think the original one rather than number two which which is a kind of a bit of a remake i've always just been so fond of the kind of tactile qualities of the film like it had this kind of handmade feel to it that that kind of almost reminded me of like the classic era where 
you know, directors were really forced to kind of innovate hard to do things like special effects and really using the camera and trying to sort of like, there, there was no tools to just achieve an effect. They had to like basically invent as they were going. And I think that like, just what I remember, like just loving listening to the, the director's commentary on the, on the Evil Dead DVD and just hearing all the stories about how they made it. And it's really super nerdy stuff. And I, and yeah, we, I've just, yeah, if it, it might crop up in the interview, but I talked to Lee Cronin about that as well. So yeah, I've, I had this re- really, really strong bond with the film. And, and when, when the, the opportunity to see this new one came up, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'd, I'd heard, I hadn't seen uh, Lee Cronin's previous film, Holding the Ground, but a, co- a colleague of mine, Anton Bittell, who is like, you know, big into his horror and he, you know, he knows, he knows a thing or two about horror say um he 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 sort of said it was really good and this evil dead film could potentially be something because this guy knows what he's doing so i went along and you know still with the you know there was a 2012 sort of reboot already in in the mix that i was not fond of at all so you know i was sort of like you know this could go either way and at the beginning of the film actually there's a little top and tail prologue epilogue that's included both of which i i did i disliked quite a bit and, and they but they both felt very sort of tacked on as a way to kind of uh engineer a, a sequel or you know infer that there's going to be more more films down the line and actually the, the little prologue i thought was really bad and and, and I, I was actually like bracing myself for for, for something for something awful but as soon as you get into this like family domestic situation and the single setting in this this kind of dilapidated apartment block, you get a sense that you know you, the set, the setup of the world is done in, in in a way that's very efficient and quite emotional as well. And yeah, it it just you know after about half an hour, it's like yeah we're we're, we're fine, it's all good. Elena, did you also have like a huge amount of affection for Evil Dead coming into this latest one? Yeah, I actually I am completely in love with the first two Sam Raimi films. I, I haven't seen after that. Uh, I don't know if there's another one. Is there a third Sam Raimi Evil Dead film? There there's is. A third, there but is, it's very right. different. Right. So I haven't seen. It's that. brilliant. I've seen the first two. It's I'm brilliant. sure it is. I'm actually I don't know why I haven't seen it, but but I only watched them like a few years ago because I wasn't watching horror films at all for most of my life, and I'm, I'm absolutely in love with both of them, the first one and the second one, which is kind of more of a comedy. So for me, yeah, I kind of was attached to I'm kind of attached to them too. But um, and when I heard that there was going to be another sort of not even a remake, like sort of reboot of the franchise, it's not even the same story really at all. But I was a bit like. Well, they're probably just going to do the usual thing with horror reboots, which is just make it serious and and just stick to the story for some reason, which I highly doubt anyone loves Evil Dead because of the story. I I I, I don't care about the story. Like it is it's absolutely completely irrelevant to the delight of the, of the Sam Raimi films. And actually, yeah, and I actually rewatched first remake from 2012 or something a few years ago uh, in preparation, and it was literally just the same story but done very serious and very like you know the way they were doing horror reboots at the time which is like really grim really dark a lot of like shadows and you can barely see what's going on and all that and and it was pretty good i thought as a standard kind of not very original horror movie but it had nothing to do for me with the pleasures of evil dead specifically and so when i went to see the the new one I was, first of all, I was delighted that I was departing from the story because no one cares. Like, I genuinely don't care. Like, yes, there's a there's a spooky book and that's it. Like, who cares about the rest? And you don't need to redo the same beats. It's not really that 
why Evil Dead is popular, I don't think. And so I was happy about that. But then I don't think the film was going for the same thing, which is fine, because I, I think that would be a mistake to try and capture the same sort of humor and the same DIY aspect of the original Evil Dead and um, insane inventivity and uh, the fact that it's so creative in a very, feels a very, like a very enthusiastic, almost teenage movie in that in its all sensibility and then the Lee Cronin film I don't think he's trying to do that and that's fine but I thought what he was doing was maybe less interesting and less thrilling for me just there was less imagination in it and I thought it was really well made but I also thought that for me there was a problem of pacing and rhythm in the new Lee Cronin film because I think actually one of the things that makes the original Sam Raimi film so incredible is that it's a roller coaster in terms of emotion and it just keeps going up and down up and down and you you it manipulates the audience's emotions and fears so 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 beautifully it's a complete joy to watch and i thought the lee cronin had a slight problem in the sense that i felt like it was at 11 the entire time after like maybe yeah the first 30 minutes it just stayed at 11 to the point where yes the gore was insane and extreme and disgusting but i didn't feel like it, it sort of dimmed the effect of each subsequent gory thing because it all felt like it was all at the same intensity so for me that was the main problem really but otherwise I thought I mean it's a really really well made film and it's like taking a, a bath in like of blood basically <laughs> just fully immersed in it for like the whole movie and it's kind of relentless and that's kind of fun I actually found that it didn't it didn't like compound the effect it just sort of dimmed over time which is a shame but maybe that's just me maybe I'm so jaded by horror now that I'm, I'm like not scared at all <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I love to hear you on horror. I mean, I was, I don't want to sound like too much of a fangirl, but I remember years ago listening to you on this podcast on Hereditary and you kind of made this incredible suggestion of like, oh, but if it doesn't work for you as a horror movie, why don't you just try and watch it as a comedy and see if that works? And I did. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> I don't remember saying that, but it's possible. I, I assure you that you did. <laughs> I mean, but... That kind of mashup of sensibility, because in some ways that's what the original Evil Dead did. They kind of told the same story twice, once as a horror and kind of once as a comedy. I mean, where do you think the kind of tone of this lands? Do you think any of the sort of comedic spirit works? Mm, that's an interesting question. I don't think it is as serious as the 2012 reboot. It's not the same sensibility at all. But I think there's a kind of... Um, the difference, I think, is that the characters themselves seem to to realize how not hilarious, <laughs> not laughing, but how like extreme and absurd the situation is, and so we kind of share with them into what's happening. Whereas I think Evil Dead Two, the original Evil Dead Two, was kind of doing that too, but there was also a sense that some of the humor was just for the audience to enjoy, and the characters themselves were a bit bit like pantomime, a bit like extreme, not real. And the new one is more, I guess, rooted in reality for me. And so it's, it's more like the characters are very smart horror characters. And they're like, what the hell is happening? You know, which is fun as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly thought it was fun. David, for you, I mean, do you think that this is kind of closest to the sort of spirit of the later Raimi editions, sort of that more of Army of Darkness vibe than, than the sort of first one? I would say that it's got bits of all the originals, but in the end, I think it's got a kind of tone of its own. It's not a kind of, as you as you say, like a kind of angular emo type thing that the, the 2012 film is. And it's got a kind of wicked sense of humour. Well, Sam Raimi's first, like, second film is like, 
it's drawing on kind of slapstick three stooges or all, all this kind of silent comedy that he's obsessed with and i don't think lee cronin is is necessarily like picking that up but there is a sense of like that that what this does and i think it's tapping into what elena was just saying about the kind of everything being ramped up to, to the point of delirium from from right at the beginning is that i think it's sort of like drawing out a kind of dark humor in just how extreme it is and i think one kind of iconic moment well i mean no, i guess it can't be iconic yet because the film hasn't even come out but potentially destined for infamy is that is a kind of someone being uh, injured with a cheese grater which is and and i and i believe that they that, that they've been giving cheese graters away at press screenings as little kind of fun trinkets so it's it's really kind of there is a sort of like dark ingenuity to to the violence and i think that what i think the real crossover is actually the sense of like is the mechanics of the film and where things are how bodies interact with with each other how people bounce off a wall and cause another thing so it, it's almost like that mechanized rube goldberg style thing where it's like it's just you can see the thought that's gone into kind of building the machine and, and working out who's in what room and where they are and you know how x is going to get into this room and how y is going to be trapped in this room and you know it's simple kind of theatrical writing in a way but like yeah i think there's just he, he's, he's obviously put a lot of thought into kind of making the actual violence feel original and and fun and 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 just extreme to the point of of insanity. Yeah, that's probably that's probably where the crossover is for me. I kind of wish there had been more things like the cheese grater thing. Like I kind of wish there was been there had been more and and more fast-paced. Like I kind of was like this should be like a so John Wick type action scene in the kitchen where they just take all the various things and it becomes really really absurd there was a film i watched recently i can't remember but oh yeah i think it was actually martyrs there's a bit where suddenly the character takes the toaster and slaps the the the, the attacker with it and i thought it was how can a toaster be a weapon you know i thought this kind of thing is always good like it always works you should always do this in your horror movie and i kind of wish there had been more of that um but in a way as you say like this so the fact that it's so well structured for me it was Like, it all made sense, but it was kind of not sedate because that's big stream, but it, it was so well made that it was kind of chill. Like, for me, it was like, I was like having a nice time watching. I was like, yep, yeah, this makes sense. This happens. But I wasn't like, whoa, how did he think of that? You know, it was, I was kind of like, this is really solid. Also, I mean, I have to say, like, in horror, good to have a sense of space and a sense of uh, dimension and things, you know, a domino effect which is really nice. But yeah, for me, I, I kind of wish it had been even more extreme to go to beyond the reality of how this would happen. I mean, I have to say I made the fatal mistake, as I often do. I'm, you know, I'm a big horror person, but I often close my eyes and cover my ears. Close my eyes for the gre cheese grater scene, which means in my imagination, it's probably so much worse because all I heard was all... <laughs> That's also the thing we haven't said, but the film, the film's sound design is incredible. And I, and I don't, I, I almost uh, said something a bit mean maybe at the time when I saw it. I was like, is it really good sound design or is it the most sound design? <laughs> Because it's things like this that you, you, I do this thing too when I really scan in horror movies that cover my eyes, but also like close one ear off because sound is really the main thing really in horror. And this film is so wild, the sound, like things are so loud, like uh, the, the noise of like, you know, bodies and blood is like extremely loud in the in the mix. And for me, I found that actually, I thought that was quite funny. That was quite the like the funny aspect of it was how exaggerated that was, which is fun. But clearly a lot of attention went into that as well. Like if you can see that film in a really nice Dolby screen, like absolutely do that because it's like a, a trip just on an audio level. 
Yeah, I mean, it is fun. And I think after that, what felt like decade of just like miserable horror remakes, the worst of which I've got to say was that Michael Bay Texas Chainsaw Massacre one, just everything that was good about the first one taken out that we're actually having fun again. It's not so refreshing. But David, so do you want to start with the scores in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect? Yeah, um, I'm going to go for, as I did on my review, uh, three, four, four, three, just be just muted because obviously like horror remakes we can only be a, a limited amount of excited for for those however good the talent involved but no four, fours it was super fun i'm happily going see it and again on on release and then even even again on dvd it's like the kind of, it's you know and you can't you can't be more complimentary than this it's one of those films that if never flicking the channels and it's on, or even if it's like ten minutes in, I'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch the rest of that." So, like, that's that's my big compliment. Save for Evil Dead Rise. That's kind of like an antiquated thing, but yeah, true. When does that ever happen? Yeah, that's not that's not something anyone listening can relate to. They're saying, "What is he talking about?" You know. <laughs> you mean it's like when a TikTok comes and you and you exactly. and you watch it to the end? Yes. <laughs> if you hover over it on Netflix and it plays a little bit. You, you yeah, that, that might, might something like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I, I've said enough about my age, I think. No, it's it's nice. You you got to see the original Evil Dead at the time. I think I'm I'm forever jealous of that. So for me, I think anticipation. I would say free, enjoyment free, and in retrospect four actually because I I think the reason that I was kind of not wowed or wowed or how, how do you say by it is because I had been watching the previous uh, remake of Evil Dead before. And so I was kind of like accustomed to this aesthetic of being like completely drenched in gore and violence and blood. And, and so I was just like, oh, yeah, this is this is normal, you know, whereas I think now if you if you go into Evil Dead Rise, not having just spent like several hours in that similar gore universe, you would actually be surprised. You'd be like, oh, wow, this is so intense. So I think I'm adjusting for that. I'm, I'm, I I want to be fair. And I genuinely think if I watched it like now, for example, I would be much more like shocked and gripped by, by all that. So, yeah. Personally, probably would have been a one, but then David Jenkins' seal of approval before I went in. So so I reckon probably falls across the board for me. I really, I'm really kind of wary of like where the kind of horror remake goes. It does feel like the genre for like the most shameless milking of IP imaginable, but great time at the movies. And uh, glad that Lee Cronin is a fan of the podcast because I'm certainly a fan of his now. Next up, how to blow up a pipeline. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A group of environmental activists try to prevent the development of a pipeline by resorting to sabotage. So, Elena, coming into this, I got to say, I thought I was sitting down for a documentary. I was quite surprised at <laughs> what I saw instead. How, how would you describe the kind of genre of this film? I would say it's a thriller. And I think very uh, self-consciously plays into the tropes of the thriller in a way that is very fun, I think. Um, it's almost like watching people pretend that they're in a thriller. And there's a sense of distance for me. It's not, I, I don't know if it is a straightforward thriller. I think it's the sense like, what if this story of very contemporary issue and very, you know, things that are actually happening was told like a thriller. So there's a lot of style involved. I don't, and, and the characters themselves maybe don't act like they're in a thriller, but like the style of the filmmaking sort of gives that sense uh, which I think is really entertaining and, and really fun. But yeah, so I did not think I was watching a documentary because I already knew it wasn't a documentary. But uh, the fact that it's based on a book, that, uh, a nonfiction book called The Same, How to Blow a Pipeline by Andreas Malm was certainly intriguing. It's basically a sort of fiction adaptation of a nonfiction book. And I actually um, read an interview with the director who said that they they don't explain to you how to blow up a pipeline. They don't explain, they don't show you how to make bombs. But they almost did. And, and they, had to, they just removed some of the steps that, that can be found. It's not that hard to... Apparently, I haven't tried myself, but it's apparently not that hard to find all the steps if you want. So there's a sense of showing you how to do things, but I don't think it's necessarily showing you how to do specifically what the characters are doing. For me... What I liked the most about the film was that it showed in a very, very straightforward way the stuff that can happen when people get organized. And I don't even mean necessarily get organized with other people, just literally get organized in your life, like yourself. Like, what are you doing? What is it you're doing? Are you, are you trying to do something? Are you building something? Are you, are you doing anything that takes time and effort and that's got several steps to it and builds to a certain result? And I think it's um, very... For me, I found it very inspiring that it shows the, the incredible things that can be that can be done, achieved when people just take the time and people just you know are patient and work with other people or even just with themselves on their own. Because I feel like not to get too uh, philosophical about this, but I feel like it's actually really hard to do that uh, these days. There are so many things that are distractions and so much of a sense of instant gratification and things just come to you directly, like whether it's notifications on your phone. And, you know, that little dopamine hit of, of a like. Or whether it's like ordering food, you just click a button, the food arrives. Like there's a sense that process is kind of disappearing. And, and we're, we're told we, it's too much work and it's, it's too involved. Anything too involved is, becomes less attractive. And I feel like this movie really gave me a sense of the joy and the pleasure and the sense of worth you can derive from doing anything that requires a bit of, of work, a bit of process. And and then also, yeah, obviously people coming together, the sense that, you know, it's it's one thing for one of the kids in the film to build a part of the, of the thing they're building, but he wouldn't be doing it if he didn't know there was this other guy who was going to do the other part of the thing. So 
there are more than the sum of their parts. It's, it literally would, he literally would not be here. He wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't this other guy. So that's also very inspiring. The fact that when people come together, they more than the sum of their parts. They, they can do things that, even if they had 12 copies of themselves, they wouldn't be able to do. It's about coming together with different people. And so for me, I thought that all these things were really, um, they're kind of not necessarily stated in the movie. The film is pretty straightforward, but you have the time to think about all these things. And because it's something so current, uh, you know, the, the climate crisis, and which could actually, you know, in more realist terms, it's not climate change. It's people in power deciding that some people should just die for their profits. That's a very current issue, so you're really so involved. And the film kind of trusts you to have your own thoughts about all these issues. It kind of presents it to you in a very straightforward way, which I really like. And yeah, I mean, I've already spoken a lot, so... No, I just think it's interesting because, like, obviously those ideas were given a little bit of room to breathe because we didn't kind of have the sort of typical centrist hand-wringing about, like, whether or not this is worth doing. Like, you know, it frames it very much that this is an act of self-defence. And so, David, for you, were you kind of convinced by the various motives of this ensemble coming together to save us all from the climate crisis? Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was really into this film. I think, I think just sort of like riffing on what Elena was saying before, it's, it does have the, the kind of, the feel of a kind of throwback classic era heist movie, or even something like a film by like Jean-Pierre Melville, who, who made things like Le Cercle Rouge, where it's like various people coming together to do this one project. And yeah, like, I think part of the tension of the film comes from this idea. There is an element of it that is celebrating collective endeavor. But then I think there's also an element of it that that, that is kind of derives this really quite sort of strong sense of tension from like human frailty as well and individual frailty. And like, this idea that when you have this band c- coming together, if there's one weak link, if there's if there's one thing go goes wrong that slightly kind of tips the equilibrium, then it just has this it ha- like the effects of that are massively um, amplified. So yeah, no, it th- also things like Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. It's all it's all these kind of like heist movies where you've got this character who is all, is ostensibly the leader who is bringing all these these people together and their plan is to bomb an oil pipeline they they're doing it in a way where they they are not where no one is going to be physically harmed they you know they hope and the upshot of their of of their action will be that the the oil companies will see that their their profits and their their products that they, that they are they're selling that's making them very rich through various forms of like exploitation is actually a finite thing it's not going to just be an endless resource and it can be obstructed and that the market can be disrupted in this way which you know it seems it seems like a very noble noble end and i think the film is very is is provocative and it and i think as much as it wants people to go in who may be sort of politically on side with it and and empathize with what these uh, these people are doing i think the makers also would be re- are really keen for people like more, you know, more kind of conservative-minded people to to watch it and actually sort of see this is the reality. You know, this is the reality of these things because I mean, you know, climate protesters. This like this idea of of people, you know, blocking motorways and stopping trains and 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 just you know these kind of things where you where you're causing like urban disruption. It's just been you know a lot of kind of people are like, oh well. They're stopping from me from getting to work, or they're stopping me, me, my, me from getting my kids to school. So how how are they being helpful? 
But I think it's kind of like this is kind of like the next level of that. This is like this is this is what they're actually doing, and this is and this is the reasons why. And I think on those terms, it's very convincing. I think the performances across the board are really great, and you know, like drawing on those kind of classical influences, there there are kind of it almost toys with the kind of archetype where you have like you have the tough guy, you have the sort of intense guy. You have the nice woman. You have these different types that are coming together, and 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 as the bomb is being built, they they too are the kind of these these parts that are coming together. But yeah, it's really I think it's a really fine piece of work, and the and the thing that I think that tips it over the edge for me is like I I hadn't read the book. I mean, I don't really want to go too much into the ending, but I'll just say it has a for me a very satisfying ending from its own design it doesn't pull its punches which i i mean with that yeah i don't want to spoil anything but that's i will say that the ending i found very like i think that there are a lot of different ways things could have gone which would have drastically altered what the film was trying to say and do and i think it's laudable that it chose not to do any of those things for an ending that was satisfying and, and i think you know would be will be the cause of of, of, of kind of a lot of debate um and Elena, with you you did mention that kind of with evil dead that you kind of felt that it was just all kept at a 11 so consistently i kind of felt similarly about this but in a good way that like i was just extremely stressed in a sort of uncut gems level from start to finish but like you know without much respite did it still kind of keep you gripped yeah i kind of felt the same way but i agree it's in a good way because for me it was like even when they're relaxing and having fun, like the planet's still burning, like <laughs> this stuff is still happening. And that's the cause of stress for me. It's like, yes, of course, all the trying to, you know, build a bomb, which is very dangerous and doing all the stuff we do, which is really dangerous. That's stressful. But for me, it's the fact that they, because of what they decided to do, that they tried to decide to do something about their reality. They stay in that state of mind where you are aware that the planet is burning and most people are not doing anything about it. And even those who say they want to do something about it don't really do anything about it. And that is that is a stressful, you know, state of being. And I think the film is kind of alive to that reality where, yes, the, the thriller element is, is stressful and all the challenges of the various steps they have to do to, to do, enact their plan are stressful. But also, there are, you know, there are small, very short segments on the normal, the, the rest of the life of each character. And they've all been impacted in some way by climate collapse. But I liked the way the film was so straightforward about these things and did not spend 50 years explaining to you the psychology of these characters. It was very like, this happened because of this. That's horrible. You don't need, there, there is no escape from that reality. There is no, you can you can try and like, you know come up with all these like, ideas and comforting things and com- like all these various things to try and find comfort from that but the filmmakers were like no this is all like all these things are distraction tactics all these other ideas around this reality and all the other details we could give you about the lives of these characters are distractions from the fact that they literally are living on a planet that's falling apart and that's affecting their lives right now not even in 50 years and i really liked that it, it it didn't bother it, it didn't it, not that it didn't bother but it was like I'm not going to give you anything else that's it do you need anything else no you don't that's the fact and I found that really stressful and 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 brave oh, on that point I actually think like so much so much cinema now and, and I mean so many debates in the industry are there is this kind of like you know should it be TV should it be should it be film what does that mean you know what how, how, can we stretch it out to six episodes can we compact it down like i mean like recently we've got like dead ringers 
it was a film now it's a series could it you know can can that material hold the length of a series i you know that's out there now you know layla i know you've seen it and you you were sort of maybe saying not not really but you know i i i, I watched this film and one of the thoughts i was having is i i bet someone down the line suggested they do this as a tv series and they 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 flesh out all the backstory and they and we have all these kind of character character like subplots and everything and it might that might not have happened but watching this it was like I'm so glad this is a film and as you and it's totally the reason that you say it's like it's a story that works so perfectly in the cinematic form the way it's been made the the economy with which it's been made which which actually creates that 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 thrilling element because the the longer you stay away from that main arc that 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 it's going to dull the impact you get you just get the information you need that's going to like you know it's alchemical you know it is like the bomb it is like a, it, it's it's it, it's been perfectly measured right perfectly measured i mean that does it bodes well for the scores that you're about to give uh what what's it going to be i'm going to give it fours across the board i i probably need to give it another watch if i was going to give it like you know five stars and i'm trying to be a, i'm trying to be a little bit more withholding of my uh, five stars this year so it's it's yeah it's a it's a, it's a four stars across the board another film that I'd, I'd happily happily watch again yeah really really good i'm 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 hoping people go out to see it and i know what about you yeah i think i would say the same four across the board as well because for me i actually felt like some of the acting was not that great and that's but that's kind of like almost i would say not the fault of the actors because I think it's very very hard when you play a character that's so sparsely defined and that is so you know you know so little about them it means that the actors have a lot of work to do to make this person feel real and feel like a full rounded three-dimensional individual and I think that's very hard to do and I didn't think that all the actors succeeded but then again you know maybe they did when they were filming and then when it was cut to, to this lovely uh, I think the runtime is what like 90 minutes or, or maybe a bit longer than that maybe some of that was lost and, and that's you know that is tricky but yeah and I think another reason that why I'm not going full five stars is that um, I don't know what I was saying about like the, the difficulty of doing what these kids are doing of organizing and of trying to do something about your situation I think it would have been really interesting if the film sort of went into that a little bit more just because it's such I think it's like one big hurdle for many people is they just wouldn't even know where to start. They wouldn't know what to do. And, and, and it's not their fault. I don't think it's people's fault. I think it's because everything around us is geared towards dis- discouraging any effort of building something, of doing something in the long run, of really putting an effort in something. Beautifully put, as always. David once told me that I wasn't allowed to give things five stars unless it legitimately changed my life. So I will cheat and go with a three, four, four point nine. If if that is at least permitted. Um, Next up, we're sort of back to perhaps uh, less politically galvanizing work with Brain Dead. Lionel, a young man living in South Wellington with his strict mother, Vera, becomes romantically entangled with a girl called Paquita. Vera is bitten by a hybrid rat monkey creature and begins to transform into a zombie, which is also infecting swathes of the city's populace. David, this was your choice as ever. I mean, does Brain Dead feel... Does it reach the heights of the Evil Dead films for you in terms of uh, beloved horror comedies? Well, well, the, the reason I chose this is actually because there's two sequences. There's a sequence in the new, in this in Evil Dead Rise, which 
I, it, it kind of pinged in, in my mind because there, there's a similar sequence in, in Brain Dead that possibly would have been an inspiration. I don't know. I asked Lee Cronin about it, but he, you know, he was kind of like, well, I'll never say kind of thing. But yeah, this is a film that I, I kind of was someone who, who really fell in love with Peter Jackson pre all the kind of Lord of the Rings films. Not to say I fell out of love with him after that, but I, I was maybe a little, you know, that, that I, I was a little bit less inter- less interested in him. The first film I saw was Heavenly Creatures, which I, which I think is like maybe still his best film. I, I maybe need to give it another watch, but it's really ma- like magnificent film, that one. But Brain Dead was something that I remember seeing. It was, it was, there was a kind of like VHS trailer for like horror it was like a vhs horror label and i remember just seeing like a snippet of like 10 seconds of the film where lionel the lead character he's doing this thing where he's running across the hallway of of his of his house covered in like head to toe in blood and he's doing like stepping stones but on like zombie like decapitated zombie heads and they're kind of squelching as he goes because because the there's so much blood on the floor that it's that it, it he's like it's too slippery for him to to run and run away from the zombies and i was just like oh my god i have to see that so tracked down a vhs and it was a kind of oh my god i've i've I must have watched this film like you know 50 times it you know it was it was just a real like just super fun in the past i think we've done meet the feebles i think we've done so many of the early jacksons on 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 the pod i definitely was on for meet the feebles which is his kind of puppet film that he did and yeah in the same way as the evil dead it's this incredible showcase film for this obviously genius director i think you could watch this film and be completely repulsed by it you could i think there probably many many people see this and absolutely hate it it's kind of like some of like sick, like really sick Mr. Creosote, Monty Python level gross out humor in it. And the gore effects are just, we are taking everything to the to the extreme limit. Like again, like the Evil Dead, you can see the love, the ingenuity, that you can see the fact that they've made a huge paper mache mother zombie that's up on the roof whose belly opens up and you know it's like it's it's amazing it's brilliant it's like some people actually made that with their hands i think this this is the this is the episode about like the the joys of hand making things whether it be movies or bombs and uh <laughs> um yeah this you know i I'm, I'm i'm someone who's completely in the tank for this i you know i, I adore i just adore it i love the actor who plays lionel let me Timothy Baum, yeah, uh, and and I love the actress who plays Paquita as well, Diana Penlava. But yeah, it's he 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 was a kind of local uh, Kiwi actor who didn't. I've never really seen him in anything else, but like he's just so perfect for for that role as the kind of gawky mama's boy who ends up having to like you know it's there's there's a whole kind of Freudian subtext to the film where he ends up killing his mother. But yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's a joy. I don't but know I'm, that it's subtext. Yeah, well, super, 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 super. Comes text later. But let, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued to hear. It. Like, had you guys seen it before, and were you kind of appalled by it? Um, I hadn't seen it before, and I was appalled by it, but in a good way. I was like impressed, appalled. I was like, this is maybe the most disgusting film I've ever seen, and I was gen, I was genuinely like, you know, hand to my mouth, like, oh my god, like. Because it's not just the that the the stuff that happens is like disgusting and people really really their body gets destroyed. It's like the in- inventivity, like the imagination 
of the way this stuff happens and like there's also like so lots of like evocative stuff you know like the belly of a, a pregnant belly and like a baby and what do you do with those things and it's just some of the most horrific and not horrific it wasn't like scary it was just like disgusting things that I've ever seen and the imagination of that and and the sort of uh, joy that everyone's clearly having doing this really disgusting stuff so for me it was like it was really thrilling it was like but also I think actually it's a good pick to discuss with Evil Dead Rise because I think it kind of does the same thing of being at like 11 the whole time after like there's quite a, a long prelude normal film stuff happening but it really goes to 11 and then stays there but for me unlike Evil Dead Rise because it keeps finding completely disgusting things to do it actually goes to 11 and then like 12 and 13 14 and you're, you're just like this surely cannot get more insane and it does so it's like relentless but yeah it's like you you get like a workout for like for yourself you're just like what this is just you know you're transformed by it and shaken Um, the final half an hour is like you know you take a breath and you hold it and it just keeps going and going and going and you're like when is this going to let up that sequence is just a masterpiece one of my favorite all-time shots i mean it's a it's a trick shot but I just think I've never seen anything like it ever is the one where so there's a shot of a woman and she kind of turns to the camera. It's, it's, it's almost Hitchcockian. She turns to the camera and screams and gives a kind of like noir scream. But then from behind, a hand comes out of her screaming mouth as, oh as, a, zom- as a zombie no. just punches through the back of her head. And it is like, you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Exactly, and you don't even have the time to think about what's happened because something, something is else, yeah, next, yeah, it's, so it's just it's, completely relentless. You know, yeah, you, it, it's just instantly cuts it's away incredible. to someone having their like, you know, innards pu- like pulled out, and yeah, like it's it's glorious. It's extreme. I think I've kind of got that um, thing that you talked about earlier, where it's like you can't change the channel when something like this. Because I was tempted. I had quite a busy week. I've seen Brain Dead like fifteen times. I don't need to kind of rewatch it for the podcast. But I, you can't not rewatch Brain Dead when there's a chance to rewatch this is the thing. Brain Dead. This is the thing. When we're having our little meetings about what we're going to do on each episode, I'm just like, what films I really want to watch again? <laughs> I just want an excuse to watch Brain Dead again. <laughs> That's all it is for me. And uh, yeah, it's a joy. I'm I'm really hoping that it gets like someone, I think it's in some sort of like rights hell at the moment because there's there's lots of different like versions of it out there because when it came out in the US, it came out under a different name called Dead Alive and it had a lot, it had quite a lot of cuts to it. I think it had like 10 minutes of material taken out and that one was kind of like the sort of biggest release of the film. And then I think the UK VHS version had like the full, the full version of the film on it. But then it's, I don't think it's, I think it's come out on DVDs in some territories in the full version, but like long deleted. So like any like industrious Blu-ray labels listening, I just figure that this film could do with the 4K restoration plush gigantic kind of deluxe edition. And I would buy the hell out of it. Yeah, I'm sure you're not the only Oh God, like now you've got me worried because what if they then also do like the 2013 Evil Dead remake and they just do it, but they make it really serious and 
<laughs> grey and put in an addiction metaphor. Uh, yeah, we should get your final words on your non-movie recommendations. Uh, David, do you want to go first? What are you recommending this week? So my recommendation of something that's non-movie is I'm just going to be, re- I'll try to be really quick on this. I've just, it, as due diligence for Cannes Film Festival, where the new film by a filmmaker called Martin Scorsese, some may know him, is going to be playing called Killers of the Flower Moon. It's based on a on a on a nonfiction book by the New Yorker writer David Gran, and uh, I kind of powered through it over the weekend, and, I, and and powered through it in a kind of oh my god, I can't stop reading this cut type of way because it is it is a, a an insanely entertaining and and thrilling page turner book, and one that I'm really intrigued about how how it's been adapted, how they've made it into like a three and a half hour film. It's essentially about a kind of attempted genocide during the 1920s of Native American community who who had some oil wealth from the from their lands. And essentially there was a kind of conspiracy to 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 not to bump them all off as a way to kind of inherit their their oil wealth and it's you know it's a kind of made for the movie story there are so many juicy characters i think jesse plemons as the kind of fbi agent who is um investigating the whole thing called tom white is just like perfect casting yeah i i i'm really ex- like you know i was excited by the film but having read this this book i thoroughly recommend unless you unless you don't want the film to be too spoiled but like you know it's it's really fun God, this is an agonising decision because that sounds amazing. But do I want to spoil the late, the, the the latest Scorsese for myself? Yeah. Well, thanks for that agony. Um, Elena, what about you? What's your non-movie recommendation? I guess apart from uh, going on the the big one, the big protests and marches organised by Extinction Rebellion and by other environmental uh, organisations, which I think is 21, 24 April in London, peaceful, just people just hanging out. Uh, which I think I might go to because I've never done that before, but it sounds worth doing and it ties up nicely to the film we talked about today. I've actually been, I've got another book to recommend uh, that I've been reading uh, lately, uh, actually from 2018. And I picked it up completely by chance at a charity shop, which is usually the way I do it. It's called Sharp, The Women Who Made an Art of Having an Opinion by Michelle Dean. And it's really interesting because, I mean, it sounds... That doesn't sound very appealing, I agree, because, you know, it's all like, uh, nevertheless, she persisted stuff. Um, But it's actually really nice because it's um, a sort of history of um, women writers, essayists, thinkers, and kind of the way their lives are summed up really in short uh, chapters, quite, you know, you don't have to read the whole thing. And but giving a real sense of what kind of writing they were doing and what kind of context they were evolving in and how actually there were some of them like overlapped quite a bit and so there's um mary mccarthy susan sontag hannah arendt um and a few other women like this so it's really interesting because i know some of them i don't know loads of them and i'm getting a real sense of what it took to to do that kind of work and where it came from and what what inspirations and what challenges they faced and not just as women but as you know people and a sense of what the era was and what also the, the writing industry was at the time. And, you know, what kind of money you'd get for writing an essay, one essay in one magazine. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's just really, I wouldn't say inspiring. I mean, it is inspiring just because, you know, there have been women writing stuff before and um, in obviously very male-dominated worlds. But also it's just very interesting because you, you get a sense that even these, like, very mythical figures like Susan Sontag um, were, like people and where they came from and how actually this idea of myth was already 
a thing when she was alive and how you know the Im- image plays so much such a big part of any writer's life and yeah i've just been really enjoying reading it and the, the sort of connections between all of them and what it's like to just be a, a writer in, in whatever gender you are that sounds incredible i do i do love this segment and this way of finishing the podcast but Everything sounds so good. And I am like, when will I have time to rewatch Brain Dead again after I'm picking up all of these things? Yeah, thank you both so much. So if you've got thoughts on these films, email truthandmovies at tcolondo.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, it's the subject of the current issue, The Delightful Polite Society. We'll be reviewing Love According to Dalva on a film club revisiting Miranair's Monsoon Wedding. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth the Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guest this week with David Jenkins and Elena Lazek. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus.